0: Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast.
1: It was uh, me and one guest, and uh, the wind came up, and we were way upriver, so I didn't even know, and we didn't have communication devices, so I came out of the river, you know, just a little bit before we were supposed to get picked up, and, and it looked like the Bering Sea. The lake uh, was huge, it was this big east wind, and that's just a terrible situation, and um, the owner of the air service flew a beaver out to pick us up, and, you know, it was like, There was a bear that was messing with us.
0: That was Kate Crump on one of her first Alaskan bush stories, King Salmon, The Neck Neck, and Giant Rainbows, today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how are you doing today? Thanks for stopping by the show. quick and easy way to support this podcast is to click through our sponsors' websites, Head over to wetflyswing.com slash sponsors right now, and you can click in and take a look at some of those amazing products, amazing local brands from around the country. Today's episode is sponsored by Togans Fly Shop, who provides superior quality products at an affordable price. An amazing resource for fly tying materials, tools, and fishing accessories. Since 2005, Togans has been over-delivering on price, service, and passion. And now you can check out that Togans buzz for yourself. Right now, you can head over to wetflyswing.com slash Togans to get started. That's T-O-G-E-N-S. You support this podcast by clicking through that link to Togans online. Established in 1928, Deddy Flies is the oldest family-run fly shop in the world, now in their 94th year. Deddy's mission has always been to supply the fly fishing community with the finest products and services. Every fly they sell is either tied in-house or by a handful of select domestic tires. Please head over to wetflyswing.com deddy to grab your in-house flies today. That's wetflyswing.com deddy D-E-T-T-E, to support this podcast and the oldest fly shop in the world. Kate Crump is here today to take us on a journey of what it's like to uh, be an owner and run an Alaskan lodge. We find out how this all came to be. And uh, we also find out how to swing flies for king Salmon, why this place is so remarkable with the large crazy sized fish, including rainbows. And also, we find uh, we get a little bit on their steelhead operation in the lower 48. Kate's also got some good advice on becoming a guide and, uh, and what it's been like for her. So here we go. Kate Crump from the Lodge at 58north.com. How you doing, Kate?
1: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Thanks for uh, putting a little time together to uh, talk uh, Alaska and uh, we're going to dig into what you have going at your lodge. And uh, your name has been popping around, I think you and Justin, I think for quite a while. So I think you're one of those guests that I've been trying to get on for a while and we finally got you here. So I'm excited to talk about all that. And I guess now you're just getting ready, right? To head up to Alaska or you're up there now, but you're getting ready for the season.
1: Yes, we're getting ready for the season. I've been up here since uh, April 17th and Justin April 5th. So we are working on a bunch of projects. And so we open on June 17th as our first group of guests. And I was just walking around uh, two days ago and realizing, and even yesterday, realizing how many projects are happening right now. We have a crew of there's uh nine ten of us today they're friends they're family and i've got justin's parents justin's mom is helping me move all this equipment like nails and screws and tools and chargers um we have like so many cordless chargers and we put them into this greenhouse so that if we have weather and just to like have a place to put this stuff while we're building that isn't inside the main lodge, right? And everyone has to come in and out. So she and I are like doing that. I got like 12,000 steps in yesterday. And then I looked to my left and our friend Nate from Montana, he is on our excavator and he is redoing our road. So we have like a more of a circular driveway and sort of eliminating, uh, we had this huge driveway pad because we had to bring in this giant crane to set the beams on our lodge last year. So we had all this like pit run fill that needs to be like minimized to make a more beautiful landscape. And um, so he's running around like on an excavator smoothing things out. And I wanna remind you like everything's still frozen. This is a really late winter and I've been like talking to people kind of all over the country. Everyone's like, yes, it's still winter here too. But here in Alaska, um, our ground is completely frozen still. So digging around in the dirt and uh, that kind of thing, um, it gets a little hard, right? And um, and then just past the driveway um, off the side of the lodge is my husband, Justin, and two other friends, and they are building a fire pit. So they're making this like really cool octagonal wooden fire pit that kind of is down below. So you can kind of sit on the edge, you can cook on it if you wanted. Um, it's a design... That my friend Jeremy Koreski gave us. So we're super excited about that. But in order to, (laughs) (laughs) so they are repurposing the wood from the deck on um, what we call Quizzes Cabin or Cabin One. It's a guest cabin. And it just had this big wraparound deck and the walkway kind of along the property and down to the boats and the airplane walked on that deck. So So I was like, hey, let's get the traffic off of these guest cabin deck, right? Like, let's do a walkway. And also, like, let's match the deck with the lodge deck. So like more of a cedar decking that kind of just comes out and like more of a modern feel. Let's kind of match that all in the same process. So they're reusing these boards to make the fire pit. So there's a big process of like, you know, you have to pull everyone up, you have to pull all the screws out and then you got (laughs) to it's so it doesn't look fun. (laughs)
0: Is this like a complete remodel, or is this something where the the lodge is? I'm not even familiar with. Maybe you could start there. Maybe talk about first, you know, where you're at, and then is this a full remodel?
1: Okay. Yes. Um. So we are in Bristol Bay, uh, Alaska, which is um just an amazing, incredible place. the The headwaters of our river is in Katmai National Park, which is over four million acres, and then. Just on the edge of that is Sheriff Wildlife Refuge, so more public land that's over a million acres. And all of this area is very much roadless. We are considered the village of King Salmon, which is connected by a road um, to the village of Naknek. So there is sort of this amazing ability to be on the road system, but it's the shortest highway in America. It's 15 miles long. There's no roads that bring you to this highway, the only way you can get here is by airplane or boat. And in the village of Nacnac is a huge commercial fishing industry. And most people have maybe heard of Bristol Bay because of the proposed Pebble Line. And so we're very excited to see that is being halted mm-hmm. right now.
0: That's good. We can get an update on that too, because we had um, Trout Unlimited on about a year ago. And, and uh, the person that was leading that, she gave us an update. So yeah, maybe we can get an update on that uh, later in the episode.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's see, even to back up just a little bit further, when uh, Justin and I started our own business guiding in Bristol Bay here, we had worked for a lodge for a number of years, and it was a great experience. And we broke out on our own. And um, around that time, the owner of this lodge property, it was run as a do-it-yourself kind of cabin property, he had approached us and he said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be wanting to sell this. Soon, and I'd really like to sell to you guys. And that was such an honor to get that phone call. And also, I had always said since my very first year, which was 2008 on this river, I was like, Gosh, this is the best spot on the river to have a lodge. And if I was crazy enough to have a lodge, I would want this one. Well, I am crazy enough because in 2020, he said, Okay, I'm going to be ready to sell at the end of the 21 season. And I was so, Justin and I both were like, wow, we're so glad it wasn't 2020. <laughs> right.
0: Know? The start of COVID.
1: <laughs> yeah. It would have <laughs> been an awful year to try to operate, right? It would have been so hard. So we closed in October 2021 and uh, took uh, the keys to the property. It's funny because there's no su- no such thing. It's just like remote and you don't need keys. But we took the property. And what we realized is that in order to in order to do this, like we're just two people, we don't have um, like this huge financial backing, right? A lot of lodges here, especially are are, there's usually like a pretty wealthy person um, that is sort of helping fund it or started or that kind of thing. So like, we can't afford to not open for a season while we do all the things we need to do. One of those, including building a brand new lodge building and also remodeling all of the cabins so that our guests have a nice place to stay because it was operated as a do-it-yourself property. uh, There wasn't a central space where everyone came together and meals were cooked and that kind of thing. All of the cabins had little kitchenettes in them. So we realized that the one thing that we, um, well, there's many things we lacked uh, time was going to be the biggest uh, crunch for us. And so we had been obviously pre-planning this for years, how it would happen. And um, so we stayed, Justin, our season ends about the middle of October and Justin and I stayed until the middle of December and friends came and helped. Some of our staff stayed and helped and we just gutted all of the cabins as much as we could and we just took stuff away and we, we tried to give it away in the community and things like that just all the things that we knew we weren't going to use and we also had um, lined up our builder and he had a lot of experience building in this area so he had a lot of connections and also his name is Jim Hines he is just like a stud he is going to get the job done no matter what And so they came and put in what they call helical piers. And those are these big, giant, heavy piers with like a corkscrew on the bottom. And uh, you drive them into the ground based on the depth and the pressure that you need for the the structure that you're building. And the, the beauty of those is that because we have this permafrost and everything is freezing, the ground is freezing, we get tons of upheaval. One of our cabins this year we came back is like, three feet higher in the back.
0: Oh wow. Oh, because it's it's the tundra, right? You're on the tundra.
1: We're on the tundra, yes. And so you'll get just like things become sort of like a fun house, right? You got like this spots elevated. Even our house we have a um we have a house in the village of King Salmon where we um where we live off the property, our deck is like super wonky this year. And this year they got more snow than recorded in the last 50 years oh wow yeah so i actually just in the last couple of days have been able to lock down my walkway to get into the house there's been so much snow we had to like go around because we weren't here to plow it through the winter and stuff we spend the winters in oregon guiding
0: gotcha wow so you got a serious operation there and serious project going on i mean <laughs> is the neck neck river is that the river you guys fish or are there a bunch of rivers you hit
1: um, so that's our home water that we're based on. And then uh, we have a float plane, a de Havilland beaver, and we fly into Katmai National Park. We fly into Picherof Wildlife Refuge. We fly over to the Nushagak for King Salmon.
0: Gotcha. So you got your plane. And are you flying it or you have somebody flying it?
1: No, but someday, Dave, that's definitely a dream of mine.
0: You should live that dream because I know we. this goes way back. But um, Line Speed Jedi, you know, we had this episode way back at the start and he was telling the story about how he was up in Alaska and then he just started talking about how he was flying this beaver into Alaska. And I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me you, you can fly planes? And he's like, oh yeah, you know, I just learned, I picked it up. You know, it sounds like when you're Alaska, you just kind of pick up and do what, you know what I mean? You kind of do what you want. Is that how it feels up there for you?
1: Oh my gosh. It's constantly like learning how to do something new because there isn't somebody like a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, my sink isn't working or it's leaking. Yeah. And they're like, oh, just call the plumber.
0: See, that's exactly what's going on right now to us. Like our sink is leaking and we're like, okay, well, I guess we call the plumber and it's going to cost some money, but that's what we do. But up there, yeah, you you can't call the plumber.
1: No, Dave, you got to get a pipe wrench. You know, first you got to get under there and figure out like, why is it leaking? And then you got to problem solve. And then, okay, this is, I okay, get a pipe wrench. We got to tighten this up or like, you know, it's, there is no like, call somebody, right? You're like, okay, there's a problem. How do we fix it? Does anybody here in our circle have experience with this? No? Okay. I guess that means I have to figure it out, right? And, oh, uh, the internet doesn't work, so we can't YouTube it. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's it.
0: That's it. Gosh, cool. Well, so you got the knack neck, which is actually, I mean, as far as rivers, we've done a little bit of uh, some episodes up there. Um, I think there's some other, I'm sure, yeah, there's other lodges right up around there and some other stuff going on, but it seems like it's one of the rivers that's just got these giant rainbows. I mean, are rainbows the species that people are coming up for? What do you think when people are coming to your camp, what are they coming for?
1: So that's one of the most amazing things about Alaska and Bristol Bay specifically is we're constantly changing. And so just when you're like, in this mode of like, wow, I got this fishery figured out, or I'm so tired of doing this. Good, because you're going to be doing something else tomorrow. And so we have people that come up in the fall specifically for the big rainbows. And the preferred method is to swing flies for them. And they're aggressive and they're very healthy, just amazing fish.
0: This is one thought I didn't want to miss because on the last one, we talked neck, neck. The person that we interviewed, uh, Dryfly John, I'm sure you know of him. I think the lodge where he's at, but he's in the Midwest of you know, so he doesn't fish for steelhead. So I don't think we talked about the difference. But what is the difference between one of those big Alaskan Bristol Bay rainbows on the swing versus a winter steelhead?
1: These big rainbows are actually eating. <laughs> they're uh, they're aggressively feeding and they're not going somewhere to spawn. They're purpose to be in the river during that time is to feed they're like the bears who in the fall are like okay the clock is ticking winter is coming and i need to just go full on feeding and they've been doing that for a couple months but now it's like this sort of desperate
0: feed Gotcha. So my guess is it's easier to hook these big giant rainbow, like 10 pound rainbow, right? Or whatever they get up to on a swung fly. Is the technique similar to what you'd be doing winter steelhead?
1: It's very similar. And I think what's so fascinating to me is that this is got to be the world's greatest swung fly rainbow fishery in the world. Hmm. I don't think that there's anywhere that you could put up against this place. And so- I don't have like this religious fanaticism about how people should fish. My um, philosophy has always been what makes you happy and where you drive joy and how you can be present and how you take care of the fish, however you catch them. But I do tend to find myself kind of getting religiously fanatical about this because it is the greatest swung fly fishery for rainbows in the world. And so I see people, if they're like, using like bobbers and spinning rods, I'm just like, oh, really? Like, Or even like nymphing. And I have done that too. So I'm not like, oh, I'm the Pope on this, but it's just so special. And it's so cool.
0: Yeah. I think it's probably the comparison you probably know is probably like, and again, I have nothing against you could do whatever you love to do, right? Whether, Whether that's even bait fishing or anything, but yeah. I mean, it's like the Deschutes. It's like the Deschutes. It's, you know what I mean? You're there. Swing flies is kind of what it's about if you're nymphing, you know, or even the North, like any of these rivers, the Esquina, right? You name the Steelhead River. It seems like, man, if you're out there nymphing, it's like, wow, you're missing swinging up a fish, which is the ultimate.
1: Yeah. I, again, like, I just don't have that around any other place because I just have so many friends that like derive joy from these other methods. And I have too and do. So I kind of um, just can't get on board with like, there's only one way to do this. I just don't think that that's giving service to life and people and relationships, you know, but, um, but I tend to with this one, like, cause it's that special. It is the world's greatest. So, but we have people that come up in June specifically for King Salmon. We have people that come up for like a King Salmon I mean, because the Nushkak is the world's, uh, here I am, like, all these world's greatest, but it's the world's largest run of king salmon left in the world.
0: Oh, it is, right? So yes. so now that the king salmon, you, you hear about these really crazy uh, stories of the downturns in kings up there, even in Alaska, which seems like, wow, right? That would never happen. But are you not seeing the same downturn in, the, in your runs there in the Nushkak? Oh,
1: okay. gosh, we are certainly seeing that. And a lot of that is, like, management and because the king salmon are coming in at the same time as the sockeye salmon. And here we go again, world's greatest, but it's, <laughs> uh, but Bristol Bay has the largest return of wild sockeye salmon oh, left wow. in the world. So we have all these world's greatest.
0: This is great. I love that you're saying this because, and you have a little bit of the conservation background, so you know about this, but why is, you know, sockeye king's rainbow trout. Why is it the world's great? Why are there so many fish there and not in other places in Alaska? Because you do have other Southeast Alaska, you got up north of you up on the Kuskokwim, right? And all this stuff. Why is this place you're at so special?
1: Well, for starters, these huge lakes are these basically safe oceans, you know, for, for salmon. um, They're just like these incredibly pristine areas that are not changing that dramatically. So you have excellent habitat. And if you place Alaska versus like the West coast, we've destroyed habitat, right? Our estuaries are, we build cities on our estuaries and then the rivers that flow into the estuaries, we concrete pave them to make them fit into our, our world and what we quotations need to get resources in and out of these places and these cities Uh, which don't have that there's no big industry that's just like leaking uh or recreating the habitat and um and so that's very special these this area is managed for sockeye salmon it's a huge industry and has been for hundreds of years and like justin's family is like can just like keep tracing back in their roots like members of the family that came up in commercial fish like Fished in the the sail. I mean, they used to fish out of sailboats up here in Bristol Bay.
0: Wow! Are you guys from? Are you both you and Justin from the Lower Forty Eight, or where are you guys from?
1: So Justin is fourth generation Edmonds, Washington. So just north of Seattle. So his family has all been, um, some way, shape, or form, part of the commercial fishing industry. His dad sold rope and gloves, mostly to commercial fishing groups and um his uncle terry who's here right now helping us and he's a uh, vietnam vet and just an incredible dude he started seattle marine in knackneck so he built the building and and that business in knackneck so it's just a cool thing in fact i took everyone yesterday on a field trip to the bristol bay historical museum and like it's an amazing museum it's the small museum in the oldest House built in Naknek, and this gal, Larice Ugly, is the executive director, and she has like built and gathered all of these artifacts from the commercial fishing industry, the native culture, and wow. so there's just all this information. To learn. So it was really cool to take the crumps and and kind of show them some of the history here and have them tell stories. Yeah,
0: that's cool. Wow. Yeah, Naknek's kind of down towards the near the confluence, right? That's the lowest little town there.
1: Yeah, it's right at the mouth of the Naknek flowing into Bristol Bay, or it's Quijack Bay and then Bristol Bay.
0: Oh, Quijack. Yeah. Gosh, this is great. Wow. So basically, that's it. So Bristol Bay is, it's got these huge lakes, and it's got management, maybe practices that are a little bit better, potentially, than some other parts of Alaska. Is that kind Um, of... Yeah.
1: Yes. Yes. They are good. Um, They definitely have um, their own issues, you know, but they are good in the sense that by managing for Sockeye, they are kind of managing for the most amount of sockeye to be commercially harvested. And then there's this thing called escapement. And if you're in Alaska during the summer months, you know all about escapement because they regulate commercial industry based on the number of sockeye salmon that escape into each of the rivers. There's five major rivers that flow into Bristol Bay. So what they've done is try to kind of like figure that number out so it produces the most amount of sockeye that will return to the area so they're, they're letting like our river, their escapement goal is 800 to 1.2 million sockeye to escape into the Naknek, And we literally have people on scaffolding towers on each side of the river. And uh, it's like 10 minutes every hour. They count each side. And there's like mm. this white plexiglass because sockeye swim right along the shore. And they count with a clicker looking down for 10 minutes. And then they extrapolate that into some... Uh, math problem that wow that's above my pay grade, but that's how they figure it out. it's
0: amazing. It's a window. There's no tech here. They're literally counting the, the adult fish as they're m- migrating up. That's amazing.
1: It's really it's fascinating, and they're so such fun people too. Right, you can pull in with guests, and they'll give them a tour. Uh, one gal that was working there a few years back, she let us climb up on the scaffolding and see for ourselves. God, that's really cool. Yeah, it's really neat, and. um And that's like such an interesting part about being here through the seasons and and how much they change because, you know, into July, these sockeye are starting to make it out of our river and into the headwater streams, or they're kind of circling at the mouth of these headwater streams. So we're still fishing like mouse patterns and streamers and a little bit more traditional on these small flyout streams. And we like hike into places and and it's so like active and fun. And then, um, as we sort of get into later July, early August, these fish have kind of gone up into their natal streams or they're continuing that journey and they're starting to, uh, spawn. And that, so there's, they've gone from these silver bullets, you know, they look, look like a, a co-salmon almost. And then they've completely in like a month's time, their bodies have turned red, they developed humps, their faces have turned green. They, develop, you know, these hook jaws and teeth. So it's completely transformed. You know, it's like Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde.
0: That's so cool. And that's the sock guy. So, and you mentioned uh, your, I think you said June 17th, somewhere around there, or, or June is going to be your first group. What's that look like? So the group that's coming up, are they coming up as the focus for them to like hit Chinook or is there a diverse of uh, the groups? Is it one group, you know, how does that look like if we were coming up there mid June to late July, what would we be hitting?
1: Yeah, so we are a really small operation. We do eight guests at a time. So um, typically it's like a group of eight or two groups of four. We have um, you know some groups of two as well, but it's nice. as a small little intimate experience. So the groups that are coming, um, we have two different groups coming June 17th. They are coming to fish for king salmon for two days, and then they like to do two flyouts. So they want to go on a small stream. Hike get into somewhere and fly fish for trout, Dolly Varden, Grayling, you know, they want to go somewhere beautiful and have that experience, which is very different from the fishing, the Nishigak for King Salmon. I mean, it couldn't be more different. And so that's a really fun experience because you're kind of getting like this taste of Alaska, this taste of Bristol Bay, right? A little bit of everything. Like when we're going to the Nishigak, we're flying over uh, the mouth of the river the mouth of our river, and you're just seeing like commercial fishing boats everywhere. You see belugas if oh, the tides wow. in, yeah. And then you're like landing on the nishkak where you know you're you're getting in a boat and you're trolling for king salmon if that's your jam, along with a bunch of other people doing the same thing, you know. And you might see moose and that kind of thing. And then when we fly the opposite way, we're flying upriver into Katmai National Park, or we're flying a little bit south, like off uh, one of our tributaries into Basharoff you know, we're flying sort of into the mountains, right? And so you're, you've got, you know, big lakes that we're flying over. Bashaf is like one of the larger lakes in Alaska. And there's volcanoes. And then we're la- landing on, you know, either a small pond or a- the big lake and then hiking upstream or hiking across the tundra to get to the stream. And the rivers are all like wildly clear. So it's a lot of sight fishing, We'll be fishing mouse patterns. We'll be like trying to like not hit the branches on the other side. And then if we do, it's like not that deep. So you can walk over and like unhook it and you don't lose a fly, right?
0: Yeah. And you're fishing mouse patterns for, is this for uh, rainbows and like other species or what, who's that for?
1: Yeah. So we'll fish it for rainbows. We'll get uh char and valley varden to eat them. Grayling will even try to eat them. Although it's hard for them to get their little mouth. Uh, yeah. <laughs> on it so usually that's just more for fun but yeah we'll we'll then you know switch to streamers if you want to get a grayling or even nymphs work um that time of year if we have really nice weather dry fly fishing is great all you need really is like an elk hair caddis you could have like just a few flies in your box and get fish here (laughs) they're not as pressured as so many other places yeah.
0: That's it. You know, remind us again, we think rainbows, what is the perfect scenario where you're swinging for big rainbows? Is that more of a fall thing or are you swinging throughout the year for rainbows?
1: So the rainbows like vary greatly, right? Our small stream rainbows are more of your typical wild rainbow, right? They range from 18 to 24 inches. You get into some that are like, you know, 24 to 26, but they're not like They don't have like 20 inch girths, right? They're like your typical beautiful rainbow. Although these are leopard rainbows, they're extremely spotted. Their eyeballs are spotted. Like they're so beautiful and special to this area. Um, And then our fall rainbow fisheries, like on our home water, that's big rainbows. Like Everyone wants to get like 30 inch rainbow or bigger.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's the number. Break the 30 inch mark.
1: Yeah. We stopped measuring several years ago, like, because it's so not important. Like if you get a 27 inch fall rainbow in our home water, it is so special and huge. Like, I mean, these fish will have like an 18 inch girth. It's crazy. So it's like, we don't need to measure this. This is like not, and that's so not important.
0: Just more handling, more handling of the fish and more time out of the water. Right.
1: Yeah, and it's like, you don't need to be like, oh, I'm disappointed I got a 27, not a 30.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I'm pissed. It's only 29 <laughs> inches. This is terrible. Yes,
1: yes. Um, you start getting, when you like pulling out of the water, that's like 32 inches. Oftentimes like, okay, we should measure that because it looks so absurd.
0: Right. What is the largest fish that you've seen or heard of for a rainbow up there, like lengthwise?
1: Um, 33.
0: So you're talking 33 is probably a, you know, over 10 pounds.
1: Oh yeah. And old, like over 12 years old.
0: Oh wow. Old. Yeah. Gosh.
1: Very old. Yeah. So special and so cool. And like, so worth taking the time to like, you know, well.
0: If you had to guess that fish, like kind of what the life history of that fish, what was that 12 year old fish? Was it living in the lake for, uh, do you know kind of what that thing was doing? How, how, you know, do they go out, like how far out to the ocean, the bay, the estuary, all that stuff?
1: Um, these rainbow don't go out into the bay or the ocean oh at all no not at all they don't need to because they have like our fish are in Naknek lake and it's a 40 mile long lake and it's got lots of deep spots and that kind of thing that has tons of tributaries that flow into it big and small and so there's lots of food and lots of sockeye small growing up in that lake right and developing so there's so much food And there's eggs coming down like all the time.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's no reason to go out to the ocean where you could be, now you're you're a prey for some other giant predator, right?
1: Yes, you're so safe. You're so safe in this lake for the most part. So yeah, I think they're living a pretty awesome life. Like they're in Katmai National Park, right? They just got to avoid the bears and the eagles and just find sockeye, which there's so many. And we've had record returns of sockeye for the last five years. So there's like more food. Then they know what to do with. They're living a good life.
0: Bear Vault is one way to assure your next backcountry trip stays memorable, epic, and safe. Bear Vault builds a rugged polycarbonate locking canister that keeps bears and other wild animals away from your food. This in turn keeps your food safe, keeps the bears safe, and keeps you safe. I've got a classic story that I told. I've told a few times about the bear taking my backpack while up in Alaska. I had my lunch and some snacks in there and just went up around the corner to fish for a bit when i got back it was uh, totally gone if i would have had that bear vault right at that moment i would have been okay because my food would have been completely sealed the bear would have had no idea and no reason to take my backpack so a good reminder there you might not realize it but this type of thing happens all the time even to experienced outdoorsmen The great news for us is now we can experience the great stuff of a remote trip without ever having to worry about animals fiddling with our stuff. Sleep soundly knowing your vault has sealed the deal for you. Believe it or not, food storage is a key consideration while backcountry hiking, fishing, or camping. The Bear Vault also has some great bonus features like the see-through sidewall so you can find your stuff really easy and a large opening plus it doubles as a nice camp stool. this thing is legit it definitely is one of my this might be my favorite feature is is the camp stool? you know i love a good a good chair out there check in with the crew at bear vault at wetflyswing.com slash bear vault that's bear vault b-e-a-r-v-a-u-l-t okay back to the show So we're talking June. Just walk us through. I like to walk through the season because you got, you know, this kind of short season, I guess, maybe not, but you got June and then July, August, September. I mean, when is the season end for you guys up there?
1: Uh, So season ends in the middle of October and um, we can have really varying weather, but it's a very fun time of year. Things have changed so dramatically, right? From June when everything's like blooming and budding and green and there's flowers popping up. That you haven't seen since for a year right and this this time of year all the trees have fallen off we're getting frost we're losing 45 minutes of light a week like every week we're pushing our start time back we are putting uh, what we call the sleeping bag over the airplane to keep it uh, warm enough so when we like start it in the morning and by we i mean our pilot chris but he, you know so this it gets us a little sleeping bag over its engine and you know like get that thing fired up it takes a while to warm up we've got frost on the dock you know you got to be careful on the walkways um we're going going to breakfast in the darkest right now and in june you don't see the the darkness and in fact if you do you stayed up way too late you're actually doing good tomorrow but um we don't really see stars until sometime in august late later in august
0: Oh, you don't see right? It's just too light up there.
1: It's too light. It's so light. Fourth of July is so boring here.
0: Oh, man, that's right.
1: It's just noise.
0: Gosh. Have have you thought about, you know, you, you're up there for this period. It sounds like you're up there six months or more. Have you thought about like long term, like, hey, I can handle living up in Alaska like full time? Is that because I, I, we've talked to some people that have made the move and they're up there full time. Is that what you guys are thinking?
1: You know, it's really fun because uh, there are so many young people that have decided to make this area their home so there's this really great community of people and it's certainly intriguing but i love oregon and washington like i love the northwest and it really feels like home to me and i love to fish in the winter and i think i just love um like rain (laughs) i don't know because i choose to be in these areas when they're like you know rainy and stuff but I don't think that I would want a winter here. Like I'm not a super big snow sports person. I snowboarded for a little while at Mount Baker when I was first um fishing and I just felt like it wasn't my tribe. And I found myself like wanting to go fishing, not really wanting to go snowboarding or skiing or anything like that. So I wouldn't be able to fish here in the winter and I know you could go ice fishing, but that uh, just doesn't excite me as much as like fishing rivers and floating down rivers. And even when we would spend a couple months in Baja Mexico fishing, us and I would spend uh, like two or three months in Baja Mexico fishing for roosterfish. Many years ago, um, I always missed the rivers. And when I got back, I was so happy to be on flowing water again.
0: Right. So even the warmer weather, you were still jonesing to get back to the uh, the, the rain, essentially.
1: I guess, yeah, call me crazy. But yeah, I, I, I like being on flowing rivers. It's uh, very much a part of who I am.
0: Yeah. Do you fish when you're hitting winter steelhead? Are you doing like large rivers and super small rivers, everything in between? Or are you focusing on one or the other?
1: No, that's the um, that's the beauty of where we are in the winter. And also sort of being on the coast of Oregon, our rivers are pretty short for the most part and they are fed by rain. So they are not dependent on rainfall for their, um, uh, for their flow. So we have to sort of be able to pivot all the time to what is fishable. What's dropping, what's clearing, what's out of shape. So that puts us on, on small rivers some days and big rivers other days.
0: Gotcha, so you might be floating with a drift boat one day or the raft the next day and then maybe walking in the, the other day.
1: Yeah. And I think um, actually saying it out loud, it makes sense. It's similar to my Alaska season in that it's always changing. And that must be part of what keeps me very engaged. Um, Is that like, there's never the same. And it's very rare, either place that I'm going and doing the same thing the next day. And I like that. I think it's hard um, for people, um, unless they're they're into that, right? They like that change. There's a lot of people that sort of like to do the same thing and, and have that sort of like daily intimate knowledge.
0: Exactly. That's a, that's the daily, we had a, uh, we have a, uh, Jeff Liske is our, he's kind of doing our Great Lakes stuff on the podcast. And he did an episode, which was like, uh, you know, Great Lakes Steelhead, you know, like intro to step by step, but he was talking about the difference between like the guide and just the normal person. It's not like the guides are that much greater As anglers, some of them are, but for him, it was like, hey, we just know every rock in the river. We know what's going on. We know where to go, you know, have plan A, B, and C, right? It sounds like that's, you're the same thing here. It's like, you're thinking like, hey, I got to have plan, right? You got to know what happens if the river blows out or if you get two inches that night before versus one.
1: Yeah, that's such a big part of it. And and here in Alaska, another factor we get is fog that prevents us from flying, like being able to take off from our lodge or even... Fog banks that prevent us from going to a certain area. Like last year, we had a lot of fog throughout the season, and there was like an entire week where we couldn't go south. And we kept trying, and we just like hit the bank of fog. Like, okay, turn around. And so now, what are we going to do, right? And if you didn't have that experience or that 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 knowledge, of, like, well, where can we go that's going to be the best fishing that isn't like a really long flight? Because nobody wants to be in the plane any longer than we have to be. So how do we get somewhere that's going to be great fishing fast or you know, and so yeah, being able to pivot like that and that just comes with experience. I've always said that you can't replace time on the water, and like to what Jeff Liske was saying, uh, what an incredible guy that he is. But like to what he was saying, that is what you get out of a guide is you can't replace time on the water. Typically, guests don't have a lot of time on the water. They're coming to you, and and you have this whole backpack of skill sets that you've developed just by being out there and facing adversity and problem solving and having to figure out, you know, what to do next.
0: Yeah, exactly. Are people, is there, I mean, you've got lodges, you got your lodge, are people also up there? Do you see people doing like a DIY sort of thing coming in, floating rivers, doing all that stuff? Is that possible?
1: It's possible. Um, We don't see it a lot. And I think a lot of that has to do with like bear safety Honestly.
0: Yeah. Right. You guys are in a capital, another capital, right? You're the greatest, probably the most bears. As, or one of the places,
1: <laughs> yes. <right. laughs> Sony world's greatest, Dan. <laughs> That's um, right. Yes. We have an incredible population of coastal brown bears. And, um, you know, a DIY program is going to have you out there sleeping with them. And then also, Dave, like just the logistics of doing things here is so complicated. And a lot of our guests, they see it now. um, Like just because they've learned because they've, again, like had experiences with us for a long time, 10 years or something. So they've seen us like have to pivot and problem solve and things like that. And it's really kind of opened their eyes like, wow, you guys are constantly doing logistics, constant, you know, and um, so that's a big barrier, like knowing who the players are here to get what you want accomplished. And um, like if you want to go do a DIY trip and um, and then having the safety, uh, the knowledge of safety with bears and that kind of thing. But yeah, it is possible for sure. Anything's possible.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you can make anything happen, but yeah, it depends on how much work left. you want to put into it. Um, yeah. What is the recommended? So I guess if you're fishing for kings, what is the gear you recommend that people are using there? Is this all, is it pretty much all spay now for kings?
1: No, um, there's a very large group of um, sport fishermen that use gear. Oh, gear. Yeah, definitely. And it's like arguably the best way to catch them.
0: Yeah. And can you still keep, I mean, that's right. You can still fill 50 pounds of your freezer sort of cooler sort of thing.
1: So interesting enough, it used to be five kings per year if you have a fishing license. And that number has changed this year with, um, like we were talking about earlier, the decline of king salmon and um, and people bringing to attention to the board of fish that we have some issues with. Our king salmon are declining too, and um, and what what do we need to do to to help prevent their loss? I mean, it would be devastating. It's the state fish, it's the Chinook salmon, you know. Um, so that's changed, but like in Oregon and Washington, there's not like a yearly limit; it's a day limit. But here, there's a yearly limit, and there is a day limit as well. So it's usually one one fish over 28 inches a day and then depending on the river depends on how many you can keep a year but typically not more than five four um and then i think on uh, the, the the regulations changed um but yeah so you're not filling 50 pound boxes of king salmon hopefully um but our sockeye salmon fishery is incredible and it's super fun to fish for it's great beginner fishery and it's not like these fish are eating. So there's this whole like windmill flossing method. There's nothing beautiful about it, but we use fly rods and it's fun because you're catching them. It's sustainable. And like, you know, people kind of get into the, there's something that like happens and it happens to me too, where, um, like I'm not like super into killing fish, but I do like harvesting meat and eating like good meat and that kind of thing. Yeah.
0: Sockeye. It's hard to beat sockeye, right? I mean, that's pretty good salmon.
1: It's so great. It's the best. Yeah. But yeah, I I get like a little bloodthirsty after I like kill the first one where I'm like, okay, let's bring it. And then like something changes, like it gets like super primal. Um, But I see it with my guests too. Right. And they're like, all right. Like once one is in, it's kind of becomes this like, We're like a feeding frenzy of piranhas. It's
0: true. It's true. It is. I mean, we're, you know, think of it, right? I mean, we're animals. That's the funny thing about it. We've, but we've had that conversation here before, like with the deer hunting, you know, for me, I do some deer hunting and stuff. I'm not a huge hunter, but same thing, man, you get a deer down and you got your hands, you know, gutting that thing out. It's just like, you know, you're, it's primal. It's like full on, you know, you know what I mean? You're not thinking about anything else. I think that's, what's great about it. Right. It brings us back to really where we all kind of should be right to a certain extent.
1: Yes, I um I don't consider myself a hunter. I consider myself a harvester because I'm not like out there like uh, I'm gonna get the biggest elk or I'm gonna get the biggest whitetail, right? I want the one that's gonna taste really good. And I get that way too. Where I'm like, I get a little primal, like, okay, let's butcher this thing, and I, I like I actually enjoy it. And I enjoy like um, the whole butchering process to like wrapping the meat up or vacuum sealing it, however we're doing it. I guess I really just like to know where my food comes from and the beginning to end process is um, important to me.
0: Right, 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 that's awesome. We talked about probably a lot of the species, but what are we missing here? So you got Chinook, rainbows, grayling, all the char, everything. You got? Are you guys doing, I mean, you got coho, pinks, all that stuff too. Is Do you have every, all five species up there for salmon?
1: Yes, we do. So um, yeah, so sometime in July as our sockeye, fishery fades um up and kind of stops coming in in full force then um we're really shifting gears into like small stream and still doing some king salmon fishing and you know we have guests that want to swing flies for kings um so we will do that but we aren't the like go-to fishery for that like our home water because we have we have huge tidal uh influxes like 20 feet so um we don't have these like classic gravel bars our river is pretty short for like swinging flies so we have a pretty cool tributary that we can swing flies on and then going over to the nishvac you can go over there and swing flies um although you do kind of end up competing with all the boats and that type of thing but um but that that's definitely a thing and then you know into july once the sockeye are up we're we're fishing for king salmon through the last couple weeks of july and it's, it's just sort of like a side thing that we do. It's definitely not the focus. We don't tell people, like, come up and you're going to fish for king salmon all week. Like, that's just not what we do, right? We want to show show guests the whole experience and get a little taste of everything. So we might fly over to one of our other rivers and fish for chum salmon. And that's all catch and release, but it's super fun on a fly rod. They're really aggressive. They pull really hard. They're big.
0: Are they still pretty chrome or are they getting some color on them?
1: yeah yeah they're pretty chrome. we try not to fish for them when they're like all colored up you know and further up into the river and stuff we're trying to fish for them in tidal water they're super super aggressive and fun and then um as we get into august we're sort of transitioning now into coho right and they are so much fun on a fly rod you can sight fish for them you can watch them take your fly like right at your feet kind of thing we can do a couple of fly outs in different places that um are beautiful and spectacular i was fishing for coho last year and a caribou so have across the river below us i it was just so epic and then we could have sort of fish coho into the first week or two of september which um you know is historically a little late but that run has seemed like it's getting later and later so um so that's kind of fun because they'll start to overlap with the big rainbows on our home water and you know during that time we're doing um we Transition now, we're floating certain rivers and fishing for rainbow trout in like really clear streams in Katmai National Park.
0: Are these like day floats?
1: Yeah, so we're flying with we like these 10 foot rafts.
0: Oh, yeah, like the air. We, yeah, they, it was just we just did an episode with Outcast and we talked about air and some of their their lineup, but yeah, they got a bunch of cool boats in that range 10, 11 feet, nine feet, stuff like that.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah, and we just ordered some SOTARs, got some uh new rafts. That they're doing that um, but yes we've used the air in the past we've had star and then yeah these so boats we're really excited about because they're like 25 pounds lighter you know and you, when you're flying six guests and two rafts and everybody's lunch and like we do lunch really well so we got hot soup and you know and then we've got cocktails for the end of the day we're not going light on these floats right
0: no yeah you're not doing the backpacking food stuff like that this is this is yes. nice yeah. yeah.
1: So we need to like reduce the weight of these rafts because we're strapping them to a float plane. Right. And we don't want, we don't want to go overweight in our plane, like, um you know, safety first. So, you know, we're landing somewhere. We're like hiking all this stuff up a hill, blowing up the rafts, pushing them down the other side of the hill and then floating this clear stream looking for giant rainbows in among thousands of sockeye that are bright red, you know, very clear water.
0: Right. How do you pick those out? If you're floating down in one of these rafts and you maybe see a run or a spot. Describe that. Let's say you hop out and you got all these sockeye. How do you find the rainbow and how do you not snag a, you know, or do something like that?
1: Right. Yeah. Well, you want to, first off, don't cast into the sockeye. <laughs> it's like rule number one. If you see a big pot of sockeye, do not cast into them. Usually those rainbows are sitting right behind them. And off of drops and things like that as well, right? So if there's a bunch of sockeye, and then there's a bit of a drop. That's where the rainbows are going to be. Somewhere easy, the eggs are just floating into their mouth, essentially. And oftentimes, you hook one of these rainbows, and they are just like they're just vomiting eggs. They're just like they can't even keep them down. They have so many in their in their mouth.
0: What's the uh, the like? What's the the rod length? Re, re, all that stuff, length the rod, and the gear you using for the rainbows
1: so this fishery that I'm thinking of, we used to use six weights and, um, and man, these fish will just kick your butt.
0: Six weight spay rod.
1: No, single hand.
0: Oh wow. Yeah. So six, so that is pretty light.
1: Yeah. Like a nine foot six weight. So we just have been kind of like pushing to more of a seven weight. If, um, if we know the fisheries we've been going in a bunch, it's like kind of all big fish. We switch into eight weights, but, um, Seven is like still, if you get a smaller, you know, and by smaller, I mean like 24 inch, you're not going to be like overgunned. but yeah, in our home water, when we're swinging with spay rods, we're using eight weights, seven weights too are great. You know, there's some really nice seven weights these days.
0: Yeah, there are. So you're not doing the the spay swinging for these rainbows up in Alaska with spay?
1: Um, so on these smaller streams, you can, but not till a little bit later when there aren't as many sockeye. I mean- when i'm talking there's sockeye in these small streams they're everywhere just thousands like as far as i can see so like if you're nymphing with a bead or something like you're not getting these long drifts you're really targeting these areas because if you do you're just going to hook sockeye all day that's just part of the deal there are so many people can't believe how many there are like it's so incredible to see this resource just like full of sockeye
0: Where could you go if somebody was like right now online, they wanted to go look at a video or a photo of these sockeye, like maybe in a stream, where would you point them?
1: I think you go to our Instagram page, you can see bears ripping apart sockeye, and you can see all the sockeye around them.
0: Oh, wow. What's your Instagram page?
1: Uh, The Lodge at 58 North. I think that those videos are pinned to the top.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah, I see it. We'll put a link out into this. Yeah, you got some amazing bear. Gosh, so those are the bears. Then you got some cool photos in here wow so this is good i'm glad i look at this now we're seeing uh <laughs> yeah and you got some dogs you got some wolves you got the full <laughs> planes this is really cool good so we'll, we'll definitely get people taking a look at that i want to dig in you know i mean i think you got the nymphing right which is what you're talking about then do you eventually get into the swinging in the fall for or the mousing does it change over where you're actually getting less sockeye and you're able to swing for those fish
1: yes once those sockeye start dying so um Usually right around the second week of September, uh, we'll start transitioning to that swing fishery. And there'll be opportunities late August because these small flyout streams are all different timing, right? So some streams like the Sakai are dying earlier, you know, like earlier in August. And then, you know, some are like way late in September. And that just allows us to have this really diverse fishery where we can go to all these different places as they change but if you can go to a river that still has some sockeye in it but isn't just clogged full of sockeye then you can swing flies for rainbows and kind of pick them out and that kind of thing Oh, okay right it's just when these rivers are just chock full of sockeye that if you swing you can but you have to like see the fish target it specifically and pull it out before you get in front of a sockeye because the sockeye will actually go after the fly even though they're not eating, it's like territorial and it's in their face and they'll go after it. So you're like, you know, it's a get, it's a cat and mouse are like, I gotta get away from that sockeye, <laughs> but I wanna get that rainbow. Um right. so we really transition into that swing fishery that uh early September and um and that's like kind of when our home water starts to light up and then um a lot of these fly out streams, the sockeye have died in um and left carcasses, right? So it's kind of gross, and we get so like jaded. like We just don't even like notice it as much, but they'll just be huge piles under the water of dead carcasses of sockeye. And then the bears are like ripping those up, and flesh is floating by.
0: Fly fishing is always in full swing at Drifthook. Let Drifthook fly fishing outfit you with the perfect assortment of flies to prepare for your next adventure. Everything from nips to dry flies, hoppers to streamers, and their Euronip fly kits... All are pre-packed in a double-sided water-resistant fly box. These kits ship free directly to your door, ready to start catching some fish. If you're starting out or just looking for additional tips to help you catch more fish, drifthook.com has over 50 instructional videos and over 200 articles to help you improve your fly fishing game. And I want to reiterate this fact right here that Drifthook has a great resource at the website. Matt has put together some awesome blog posts. And these aren't just flabby blog posts, they are packed with lots of great content to help you on your next adventure, wherever it takes you this year. With over 150 verified five-star reviews and a 30-day money-back guarantee, Drifthook's family-owned business has you covered. You can order right now at drifthook.com and use the code SWING at checkout to get 15% off your first order. That's Drifthook, D-R-I-F-T-H-O-O-K drifthook.com and use swing s-w-i-n-g at checkout to get 15% off your first order you support this podcast in a great small company right now by checking out that link at drifthook now what about justin give us a little we'll start to take it out of here a little bit i'm curious about justin is he kind of the same as you you guys are fully or do you think he could hang out there hang out in a winter in alaska and be okay with it
1: no he's very much like me i mean for all of our differences we're really similar in uh like in that like he doesn't want to be here um not being able to fish and doing yeah like we like being in oregon but we do like to stay after the season for a few weeks and like we call it easing into retirement even though we're still like working every day we're not guiding every day so we're not like on the set schedule we're not responsible for people and staff like so we used to sort of experience this um i think it's very common with seasonal fishing guides this sort of um emotional depression like kind of this downflow of emotions and anxiety and that kind of thing because you're going from like a very strict schedule and a lot of responsibility and sort of even though nothing we're doing is like known we do know so much about what we're doing and then we go into like what retired people experience We're like oh now what do i do i went from like having this this thing now what do i do with myself and how do i manage that so um one thing that we found is having a home here we have a um, wood stove which there's something like really comforting about that like putting wood on the fire and um we just sort of like ease out of it right so we like there's so much closing to do. There's so much organizing to do. So we sort of ease back into like this like pace where we are not responsible for a lot of people, not on this schedule of like, now we get in the airplane and fly places or now we get in the boat, we, we kind of ease into that it, it takes a few weeks and then we sort of avoid that weird emotional downturn and kind of like get to stay more steady and then um, can go into whatever we're going to do after that you know we usually like to go hunting in montana with our friends
0: yeah that's great now i hear what you're saying yeah they kind of the and then you hop in and then right and then you get down back to the lower 48 now you're getting back into it the guiding but maybe is the guiding <laughs> how does that compare when you're guiding for winter steelhead versus the alaska is is it uh, totally different
1: um it is totally different you know we do four guests at a time we run a really small lodge our chef from here is our chef there so it's myself guiding justin guiding and then our chef so it's just the three of us um and then we have a um, local housekeeper come in she's great and so it's very very intimate and the difference is uh we're rowing a boat every day you know we might row 10 to 15 miles and so it's like very uh physical uh, like upper body physical um and you know, like it's different because I'm not like walking Wade. I mean, every day here, I might be doing something different. I'm running a jet boat. I might be running like one of our 21 foot jet boats one day going salmon fishing. And then the next day I'm hiking, you know, six miles or seven miles somewhere fishing and, um, and hiking out. And then, you know, it's, it's just so different here, constantly changing and there it's the same, but I'm going to different rivers and, um, yeah, I might be in a drift boat one day and a raft the next day. Although I'm constantly just trying to be in the drift boat because it grows so much better than a raft.
0: Oh yeah, what drift boats do you guys have, or what do you have there?
1: A uh, clacka craft.
0: Yeah, you got the clacka. Is that like mm-hmm. a, a sixteen or footer?
1: Uh, so eighteen foot, and um, or I'm sorry, no, sixteen foot. I was thinking my boat. They're sixteen foots, but they're the big eddies.
0: Yeah, the big eddies.
1: Yeah, so super light, little higher sides than the eddy. Uh, which is good because we do some, uh, more like more rapids and stuff like that. But it's such a light boat. It's really nice.
0: What is the biggest thing do you like about fiberglass? They're light. And then also, what are there any other benefits of the fiberglass?
1: Um, well, it's like way warmer, much quieter. Um, a lot of our boat launches are, um, not your typical like boat launch where you just pull up and you push your boat off your trailer into the water right there. We actually have a lot of, um, constructed boat ramps that are just like these wooden slides we call them made by our uh, fishing association so you're like roping your boat down a slide
0: yeah yeah it's not yeah you don't want to let go of the rope because uh that, <laughs> that wouldn't be uh because some of them are long right
1: <laughs> y- yes yes very long you don't want to lose your boat and i'm the only uh i'm the only female fishing guide on the north coast so um, really
0: you're the only female fishing guide on the North coast. Now, yeah. now why do why is that? Because that seems we've had this conversation quite a bit over the years, just the 50, 50 and all this stuff. Right. But that seems yeah. kind of crazy to me. Why do you think that is? Is it just because it's too cold and too wet?
1: Oh my gosh, Dave. No, that's not why, um, you know, and like uh, my ladies from Alaska, when they come me, they're like, why don't we see more women? Because it's so common to see women in the, in Alaska. Although, It's not very common to see them guiding. Like when I first started guiding up here, there's only two other women guiding. And now there's probably a dozen. So over the last five years, I've seen, we've seen that grow, but like a dozen is not very many.
0: No, it's still nine to one, right? Or whatever it is. Oh man.
1: Yeah. It's still ridiculous. Um, We actually hired two women this year um, to train to be fishing guides. So I'm very excited about that for the lodge the feature nice. of the lodge is very cool. But um, I think uh, in Oregon, it, so we see lots of women fishing in Alaska. We don't see as many women fishing on our rivers in Oregon. And I we, I definitely don't see very many women rowing boats. I like never see a woman rowing a boat. And if I do, they're like, they're learning or something like that. But I think that there is a huge barrier to entry um, in that like, one, like, how do you go learn how to row one of these rivers? Like they're intimidating rivers to row. And it's not like the men folk out there like super welcoming, like wanting, like inviting women to come out and learn how to row these rivers, you know? And also steelheading is so secretive, right? Like no steelhead fishing guide is like, oh yeah, come learn how to do this from me. right Right. like the amount of time that that each fishing guide out there my colleagues and myself have put in so much time to learn what we've learned like how to navigate these rivers where to put in on what day and um and how to fish them like it's not something that you just give away for free you know um or just give away in general like no steelhead fisherman gives away anything (laughs) like yeah so 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 shady (laughs) but um i think that there's like this huge barrier to injury i mean when i was first the first several years every day i got comments from people and it wasn't mean or malicious it was just ignorant because they never saw women but you know like oftentimes they're like wow way to give the old man a break and oh, stuff wow. like that or i sometimes get it where they're like how do you get her to do that to the people and i'm i'm always like they pay me really well <laughs> yeah God. Um, or how do I get my wife to do that? Like you should pay her more, dude. But I think that's uh there's there's just a lot of barriers to entry and and women haven't been historically welcomed into that space. So unless you like don't care or you have like, you know, somebody that's willing to mentor you, somebody selfless and like give you that opportunity. But like I don't have any women reach out to me and like, hey, I want to be a steelhead guide. Can I come learn from you? I've never had any woman reach out to me and ask me that. Cause honestly the right person I'd be like, yes, please. I need, I don't want to row about five days a week. Like I have um, so much to do. I'm like, I don't want to guide 12 months a year. I have a lot going on. There's other things I love to paint. Like I don't get any time to paint. So yeah.
0: There you go. So if there's a woman listening right now, which we do have a, a chunk of women in the audience um, and they were thinking about becoming a guy, they, they might want to give you a call and check in with you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That's sweet. They want to
0: be a steelhead guide. I love it. No, I think it is. It's an interesting conversation for me. It's always, it hits home hard because, you know, I have two young daughters and I'm always thinking like, Hey, you know, I'm not forcing them to do anything, but I always want, the, you know, to give them an opportunity. And it's great. I actually talked to my youngest daughter uh, the other day. I actually do this kind of fun, uh, another podcast I do. <laughs> and I, we were chatting about things on there with her and she said, I asked her like, what was her favorite thing to do? And she's like, I really love the river trip. You know, and it was so cool because I was like, okay. And I got some new oars, some new square top oars. They're super light. So my hope is that they will be rowing the boat, you know, not too long. So I think for them, it maybe is easier because I'm kind of the person that's helping them. I mean, for you, what was it? Was it, um, how did you get into this whole thing?
1: I fell in love with salmon, really, um, in Washington on the Olympic Peninsula. And my friends took me salmon fishing and I was just so present i'd never been that present in my young adult life and so i think that ha- was what i was searching for and that fishing gave me the opportunity to really just be present and be myself and then just like the mystery of a salmon like getting to see something that you don't know exists unless you catch it right you don't know it's there unless you catch it and then like kind of getting to hold and touch something so majestic right having that intersection and i the first salmon i caught i let go and everybody was just like what are you doing why would you do that and i had no idea i didn't know anything about catch and release it was just like oh this is my opportunity to connect with this creature and um and i'm just so thankful for it i let it go and they're like no no and also I grew up in um, Virginia, so we didn't eat fish.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. Virginia. Cool.
1: Yeah. Like we ate burgers, you know, we ate like beef and venison oh, yeah, right, and chick- and chicken, like we didn't eat fish. So, um, so then the second one I caught, I, I kept and I developed this like love of the taste of them, but something about letting that first one go is held like some pretty significant reverence for, for that fish. And, um, yeah, that very much, uh, very much influenced my path, and I've been fishing ever since that day.
0: That was it. And, and then, what was the connection from down to the uh, like the winter steelhead?
1: Well, I think that for a Northwesterner um, steelhead salmon fisherman, Alaska is like mecca. You know, it's the place where we haven't messed it up yet. And everywhere in the Northwest, they are constantly being shown how we've messed it up. We have everywhere, really. And so Alaska, it's like this opportunity to see what the Northwest was like, and maybe even give us optimism for what it can be like in the future if we continue to do things well, like taking out dams and that kind of thing, but also just by being better humans and stewards of the environment. And that was the draw. And and the opportunity to be a fishing guide would never have been a possibility for me if it wasn't for my friend, Dan, and he had worked for the first female sport fishing guide in Alaska and in bristol bay and she um was in need of a guide and he put in a really good word for me you know she gave me my first chance she and her husband and um and at a time where no lodges would hire a female you know now lodges are like they have have one woman on staff here or there there's still lodges that don't and maybe won't but i was very well aware that nobody would have given me that opportunity so um and then to be given that opportunity with this amazing woman as my mentor who had seen it all right and had done it amazing. at a time where it was even more crazy to be a woman in this industry and in this environment and how you had to be she had to be the best um, and that's one thing that I do tell like in aspiring female guys like you have to be better than everyone else and and that's like across everything
0: oh it's so true
1: yeah. You have to be a really good person. Like you have to be a steward of other women and you can't be competitive. Like you have to be kind.
0: Exactly. You know, what I think about the analogy is like uh, Obama, you know, it's the perfect thing because think of this guy, the first, you know, whatever black president. And I mean that he couldn't make a single mistake because if he would have done anything wrong, right, it would have been this massive thing. So he was the perfect you know what I mean? And it's yeah. kind of the same thing. What you're saying is like literally because you're put on this thing, right? Oh, is the is the woman going to do it, right? You're like, you got to be perfect. Is that kind of yeah. what you're saying a little bit?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I felt that that stress in, in the beginning years, like now I don't have that stress because I've been doing it for so long and like I don't care anymore, right? But at first I felt that like I felt the weight of that responsibility to um, women, that want to that want to do this or just women in general like I needed to to be the best and I couldn't mess up you know and um I still feel that sometimes but I don't have weight there you know where it's like I want to be the best because I want to be the best version of myself not because of anything other than that so but I think it's really important you know it's really important for women in this this industry and I think we're seeing that um across the industry like with groups like united women on the fly and what heather Hodson is doing i mean, it's phenomenal and it's really helped grow women in the sport and and have them find a place that they can be a part of this sport and and then grow into being fishing guides and that kind of thing and sort of break those barriers
0: yeah i'll put a link to the show notes to the episode we had with heather Uh, That was awesome. And we had some other ones with uh, George Cook on Chinook. We've got a number of things we've talked about today. I'll I'll put some resources to dig in. Who was that mentor, you said, um, the person that uh, she helped you get started at the lodge?
1: Her name is Nancy Morris Lyon.
0: And is she still uh, around?
1: Yeah, she runs a lodge um, on the same river, the one I used to work for, Uh, she and her husband. And actually, um, her daughter is now graduated from college and has been guiding and she's turning riley riley lion she's turned out to be a great fishing guide and she's maybe going to take over the lodge and it's really exciting to see it's like when i first started working for nancy riley was 10 and then you know she became a housekeeper and i was like riley you should be a fishing guide (laughs) you know like this is like way more fun than being a housekeeper dude and um And so to see her doing it and, of course, being really successful and, um, you know, well loved and and then her husband, she just recently got married, is a float plane pilot, you know, so very uh, so Alaskan. I, I love that family so much.
0: That's great. Well, let's take it out of here. We've got the um, this little segment, uh, our Fly Shop Friday segment, and uh, this is presented by Daddy Flies. I always, always love to give a shout out to one of our partners, Daddy Flies. are like the oldest fly shop in the country, on the other side of the country. But um, do you have a local fly shop? I got a couple, just some random questions here. Do, who would be your, is there like either Alaska or down lower 48? Is there a shop that you think of? I, it seems like you guys are probably pretty remote up there, not much going there.
1: Yeah, we don't have a fly shop here um in King Salmon and we don't have a fly shop on the north coast of Oregon, but we have a lot of friends that own fly shops and um super proud to support those, like in Oregon, uh the Gorge fly shop.
0: Oh yeah, Travis.
1: Yeah, Travis and our friend Charlie is managing that now. So that that's always a fun company to support. And then um in Anchorage we have Mossy's fly shop and they've been Really nice to work with and just great people.
0: Yeah, the anchors. I've heard a lot about that fly shop, actually. A lot of people have noted that over the years, how they love that place.
1: Yeah, they're really nice and knowledgeable. And when you go in there, you know, it's a small shop and you go in there, you're going to run into somebody, you know,
0: it's fun. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Cool. What is your? I, I was going to run down and, and, and hold you and say, "Hey, what are your top species in Alaska?" I'll you know, give you your top ten or whatever. You know, if you had to fish for them. But
1: stop we, it, Dave.
0: I know that's a little hard. I know you're. You're. That's a hard one. So I won't call you there. But just give me your one. If you had to say, "Hey, it's me fishing," you know, on my own, like you said, anytime. What would that be for you?
1: Um, I really enjoy hiking into small streams and fishing mice for rainbow trout in the summer june and july um i uh, i certainly love that fall swinging rainbows and that's used to always be my favorite but um as that fisheries become more busy and just as i really enjoy like the exercise of like hiking into places and getting away from people and really being immersed in the natural world like i'm gonna see bears i'm gonna see eagles i'm gonna see them doing whatever they do you know um like in a really intimate setting, I uh, or beavers, like I mean, just all of that. I love that, and so when I get to kind of really hike further into small streams, I can find those experiences. And um, and then I just love fish and mouse patterns for those rainbows, and I don't even have to hook them just to see them come up, or to like tease them out from underneath logs and that kind of thing. It's um, it's definitely a favorite of mine.
0: Do you have a mouse pattern you like to use? Is there one a named one you think of?
1: Yes, I love Rio's Pipsqueak. It's designed by Patrick uh, Kilby, I think is his last name. He and Britta Fortis are there at Farbank. Um, um, I guess they just got this room where they tie flies and do inventions. And I love like thinking about those two coming up with new ideas and and patterns and just like tying away and uh i have this like fantasy uh, imagination of what their world is like there and um, you know and they're always fun to like you know share a fly with us to try and things like that but that mouse pattern those two sent us uh, a couple of years ago and it's been my go-to ever since it doesn't hook the fish deep um usually like right right at the the lips and um they've got a bunch of different sizes but it floats really well it doesn't really get beat up like a lot of those other mouse patterns get beat up or they hook the fish deep. And um, I know a lot of people have been um, adjusting those to prevent that. But I um, just had a lot of success with that Pips Week. And, and they, like I said, they last a long time. And that's really important up here because it's hard, hard to get things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You got, it's got to take, be able to take some of you some fish biting on it and missing it and all that stuff.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes.
0: Right on. Nice. So uh, a couple more here and then we'll take it out of here. I always like to ask a kind of a, a podcast or music. Do you listen on your, you know, more podcasts or more music when you're out there or wherever? Um, wherever.
1: I'm more music. Um, yeah, I love music. I'm not like super musically talented, um, but I am like trying to learn how to play guitar. And I love um, I just love all kinds of music. So I'm I'm pretty very taste that way. And I like to create playlists.
0: I like Spotify or Apple.
1: I've been using Amazon.
0: The oh, devil. Amazon. Okay. <laughs>
1: um, but um, I've been using that for some reason. I was on Apple for a while, and um, and I do have Spotify. But there's something I don't know ease of use. But I love creating playlists, and um, and then I like kind of matching those to uh, flying around in the float plane or running a boat around. You know, because I always try to wear safety um, uh, headsets. You know, and protect those ears you know, that's just a a PSA for people running boats and stuff. Protect your ears because we didn't used to. And, um, I think we're all seeing the effects of that.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. Ear protection is good. Right. Okay. Do you have a band or a group or something like that? We could put a link in the show notes so people can listen to some as they, as they take it out of here. No, no,
1: no, I can't. I can't do that. That's too hard.
0: Is it really like, are you like classic rock country? What would be your one type of, are you, uh, you know, '80s music, uh, two thousand. Like, is there some type of right?
1: Okay, Anything? well, like yesterday morning, I was listening to um, I was listening to country, and then yesterday afternoon or evening on the way home, I was listening to Post Malone, and this morning I was listening to Pink when I was working out. So okay, I don't, Pink, I, I, it's like nobody. Uh, not.
0: It's all over the place. He,
1: it's all over the place, yeah. It's like what am I feeling in the moment? This playlist, and that's why I guess why I like to create playlists because I like to keep it interesting. And I love Elton John.
0: Oh, Elton John, yeah, yeah, perfect. I was just gonna say maybe we'll throw a Pink uh, video in there and Elton John just to double up on it on this one. <laughs> I,
1: yeah, uh, I think it's the like first first time I've listened to <laughs> Pink in years. But I was like, ah, yeah, I I like wake up with like songs in my head that I like have to listen to that music.
0: Yeah, perfect. What's your piece of gear up there in Alaska that you like don't leave home without? What's the one thing you gotta have in the backcountry? Besides the uh you talked about the in reach thing. Besides that, what else?
1: I was just say in reach device. Yeah. Um I never leave home without my uh sunglasses and my rain jacket.
0: Yeah. Yeah, your rain jacket. Yeah, That's it.
1: I forgot my rain jacket one time in sixteen I think it's my sixteenth year of hiding. I lost I forgot my rain jacket one time. I'll never do it again.
0: No. That's amazing. I love the gear because now, you know, there's just so much good gear. It's comfortable. You can put it on, you know, you get that rain jacket shell over the top of whatever your layers are. And you're just I mean, it really doesn't matter how right unless it's super like below zero. You're pretty much good to go out there.
1: So good to go. Like it's crazy. Yep. Yeah. When I first started guiding, there wasn't like a good women's rain jacket or even women's waders.
0: Mm. Who do you go with? Who do you go with on your waders and rain jacket for women's stuff?
1: patagonia so i'm a patagonia fly fishing ambassador and um i've been a part of uh their design which is my favorite part of working with them oh wow um, cool the new rain jacket the women's swift current rain jacket is like the ultimate rain jacket i've been testing and helping the designer kaylee clay with that for years oh, this is so cool it's like the best rain jacket out there for women it hits all the um all the points and i i've seen them all and worn them and um it's the best it's like the techiest and the old uh, river salt was great too this just taking it the river salt up to the next level
0: where would somebody go because you're i'm kind of feeling my own itch here if i wanted to get that jack of the swift current where would i go to get it where's the,
1: so the patagonia um so patagonia sell direct um i don't know what fly shops carry it so that's my bad but um maybe the gorge and maybe mossy sells them i have no idea but um the women's swift current i don't think is out quite yet um but the river saw saw but the men's swift current is and that's also i mean kind of same design but for men um but it's really great really great and then like a the new waiters there's all these like zip up waiters like patagonia has this new expedition waiter for women so it's like super heavy weight i mean i've been wearing the men's waiter for a long time because it's the heaviest weight so now is the expedition weight waiter for women. So all the women that are out there like fishing hard and bushwhacking and in and out of boats and walking weight and doing all the things. This is a super heavy waiter and it has a zip front and it's designed for women. So kind of thoughtfully designed with our bodies in mind and um and our shapes and that kind of thing. Um we're so lucky to have such great gear now that's like comfortable, makes us feel good, and has hits all the the check marks, you
0: know? I love it. Yeah. Like I said, my daughters are nine and 11, you know, so they're still pretty young, but they they say that the other day, like, Hey, I, I, yeah, a pair of waiters would be great. Right. So I think oh, that's one of the things awesome. I need to, yeah. So I got to get them to figure that out. I'm not even sure who has the kids, the, the smaller waiters, but I mean, I remember when I was a kid, uh, you know, I had my dad's waiters, like his, and I would roll them down like, you know, adult waiters. And I made them fit me when I was probably that age. <laughs> so like <laughs> probably not the safest yeah. thing to do um cool (laughs) well this this is awesome what would be your advice and we're just wrapping this up here but your advice so somebody's listening now maybe a female potential guide or somebody listening what would be your advice to her or them like you know they want to be a guide like what would you tell them
1: well I think that um my advice would be that you can't replace time on the water so you need to be fishing all the time and like That means after work and on the weekends, like you really need to let it consume you in a healthy way, but like maybe in an unhealthy way, like you need to get that time and that experience so that you can be the best, um, one of the best guides out there, you know, and also you need to ask yourself, do you love serving people? Because our job is less about making people like get fish and and that kind of thing it's really about serving people in these wild places and that you know means taking care of them and nurturing them in a way that they are getting to be themselves and feel comfortable and safe and also learning something and sort of being a part of this pristine environment and learning to love it and take care of it like that's really our role i think as fishing guides is to Serve people in a way that helps them fall in love with these spaces and want to be the next steward for it and then also so it's a three-part if they check that box like okay i can i can find myself getting on the water every moment that i can to get that experience and then yes i love people and i i want to be part of that i want to be the bridge for them to this natural world and i want to serve them and make sure that they feel good in these spaces and then the the third thing would be um, would be to find somebody that will mentor you and teach you, like really understanding like where am I deficient, you know what what do I need to learn, and um, and then finding people because there are so many people out there that love to teach and share their knowledge. Um, there's a lot of grandpas out there that have a lot of fishing experience and like love to share that with people. Um, Find those people, whoever they are, men or women, and like learn from them.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Perfect. And and just a quick one. We don't have a ton of time to dig in deep, but uh, on Bristol Bay, we mentioned that earlier. So are we had a good place with, I mean, with Bristol Bay and all that. The, the Pebble. We're mines? in a great
1: place. Yes, we're in a great place. Um, so the EPA has enacted 404C of the Clean Water Act, and that's basically um, not going to allow mining in these sensitive areas. So um, while well, the Pebble partnership will be challenging this in court, we feel really confident that um, that this is going to stand up. Now it is an EPA regulation and that changes from administration to administration. So it's very important for people to see that this is not that this is very much a bipartisan thing and that it doesn't matter what side of the um, spectrum you're on, whatever you believe, it doesn't matter like, very extreme Republicans, very extreme liberals all agree it's the wrong mind in the wrong place. And so it's like, let's take this opportunity to celebrate that we have a lot of differences and there's a lot of like hate and that thing towards one another on in this realm. But here's one place where we agree and let's celebrate that for a change that, that we've agreed on something and shake hands across the aisle and like carry that into the future um, of administration so that we're just making it clear that this is not a political fight. This is a a wilderness and a cultural fight. And so let's just make sure that that we continue to support the anti-Pebble campaign and really don't turn our eyes away from it because it's billions and trillions of dollars in the ground and it's not going anywhere until that land is protected in some way to ever be mine this fight is not going away so it's really important that we keep an eye on this and we've got great groups that are doing that um and i'm so proud to partner with
0: them that's right no that's well said i think i think we could leave it there and uh and wrap this one up and i'll just uh, we'll send everybody out to the lodge at 58 north.com if they want to uh, connect with you and uh, you know either book a trip or just uh, pick your brain does that sound good
1: that sounds great thanks for having me this has been really fun dave um Yeah, and thanks to everyone for listening.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I appreciate your time, Kate. We'll uh, keep in touch with you and uh, check back with you soon.
1: Okay, thanks.
0: There we go. Wetflyswing.com slash 470. Wetflyswing.com slash 470. Take a look right now at Kate's operation. See what they have going. See what they have coming. And see what they have available for trips this year. Quick reminder, you can support this podcast super easy by checking in with our sponsors right now. Any sponsor, just click a website, click a link, and take a look at some of the great products, whether you need waders, boots, boats, uh, rods, you name it, we got you covered. Check it out right now. Quick listener shout out before we get out of here. Ken Reynolds uh, sent me a nice message, and here it is. Uh, Ken said, thank you for the podcast, Dave. I listen often during my week. A little background on my fishing. I have always wanted to fly fish for years, had a rod and reel for over a decade, but finally started fishing with it this last year consistently. I fish two to three times per week for a local sea run off the beaches in Seattle area. So much fun. I also fish for bass from a Jackson kayak in my local lakes. The problem I have for both species is recognizing the strike. I hold my finger over the line to attempt to feel the strike and keep my rod tip low towards the water so I can see changes in between strips, I still seem unsuccessful and seem to miss strikes. If possible, maybe you could offer some suggestions or tips, please. Thank you in advance, and keep the podcast going strong. Best regards, Ken. Ken, this is a great question. I've already teed it up and you will have uh, the answer coming soon on an upcoming episode. I'm also going to uh, check in... Uh, with a guest that I have coming up this week and I'm going to ask this question so stay tuned for an answer you're going to have to wait a little bit because I want to make sure to get the expert's exact answer for you so uh, thank you for uh, showing your support and checking in if you want to get a shout out on this podcast you can do that right now just send me an email dave at webplifeswing.com and I will check in with you right there All right, uh, Alaska, and where are we going next? Uh, I'm going to leave that open right now, and I'm going to get out of here because we've got some other good stuff to take in and do right now. I'm just going to wish you right now a great afternoon, a great evening, or a great morning, wherever in the world you are right now, and I appreciate you for stopping in today and listening to the very end. Looking forward to catching you on the next episode. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.